Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Female Founders Network, a podcast brought to you by invoice to go I'm your host, Nat, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sylvie. Hey, everyone. We record our show in the Forbes Street studio in downtown Sydney, Australia, but we bring guests from all over the world. So you'll hear people from the U.S., the United Kingdom, Europe, the Asia Pacific, anywhere that we find women who lead and inspire others. This is a great podcast for women who are navigating business ownership, leadership, or just life. Each episode should connect you with someone else's story, but also leave you with practical tips and advice that you can use in your own life and in your own business. Today, we're talking with Yvonne Miles, a marine biologist who created Scanning Ocean Sectors, a marine observation school which provides a certification program protecting wildlife everywhere. In this episode, Yvonne will talk about how she turned her love of the sea and PhD project into a thriving consultancy and training business. Her experience may be centered around marine biology and protecting ocean mammals, but there are many lessons and strategies Yvonne used which transcend industries and are inspiring for business owners in any field. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Yvonne. How are you? Hi. I'm good, thanks. How are you? (laughs) Very good. And what part of Australia are you in? I'm actually living in Harvey Bay in Queensland. Ah, beautiful. On the East Coast. It's always, always beautiful in Queensland. I love it there. But you don't sound like you're originally from Australia. Is that right? No, I'm not. You can get the Pommy accent. (laughs) (laughs) So where is that located for those in the U.S. that might be like, what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, I'm actually, I was actually born in central London in Chiswick. Okay. My mother told me I was born in the same hospital as Princess Anne, so that's <laughs> my only claim to fame. Oh, that's a good sign. <laughs> yes. And then um, we moved to Wimborne in Dorset okay. for the remainder of my life. Oh, well, so were you um, then living by the sea? Yes. <laughs> Hence my connection to the sea. And And as much as you said just now... Queensland, beautiful sunny Queensland. I'm sitting here looking out the window and it's absolutely pouring down with Oh, rain. really? Oh. <laughs> well, it's sunny down here oh, in Sydney. It. We oh, need good. it. We need it. I'm pleased. Good. So how did you get from Dorset to Queensland? Can you tell us your story and your career and how you became a marine biologist as well? Well, I got here by plane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't swim. <laughs> no. Silly me, I thought you'd come on as a whale. As I'm a good swimmer, I'm not that good. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just laughing about that because now you just, you know, flights all over the world are, are very restricted. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I I started out by doing a project with a, a young lady after I finished my degree and I was following a solitary dolphin called George. (laughs) And uh, he was being mischievous uh, around the UK southern coast. Is that unusual to have a solitary dolphin? Do they normally travel in pods? Mm. Well, they, they do have times of being solitary, but... George was a a very interesting dolphin. There's only three, maybe four in the world uh, dolphins like him. Now, he chose people over his own species. And he just loved 
to connect with humans. And so I actually ended up doing nearly two years of following him around oh. and recording his mischievous behaviour. <laughs> what was he doing? <laughs> I really want to know. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, he because he liked people so much, as soon as people saw him, they'd instantly think he was a bottlenose dolphin uh, and he was uh, quite large. So he was sort of four metres in size. And he used to come to the beaches and he'd swim as close as he could possibly get. Now, everybody in their mind always thinks about flipper. Ah, yes. <laughs> and so they constantly saw a dolphin and went, oh, I want to get in the water and swim with him and cuddle yeah. him and talk right. to him. and um, Which he loved except us humans just don't seem to realize that this is a wild animal yeah this isn't flipper right um and flipper is very good at protecting himself mm. if he thinks you know he's in any danger mm. so he would he was very very good at picking out the females and and so he he tended to get himself in trouble well, it wasn't, he wasn't getting himself in trouble. It was the humans that just weren't thinking. Yeah. And so they would get into trouble. And of course, he would get into trouble for getting them in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so this is how he started. And then um, he would also tip children out of kayaks. He liked the color yellow. So if you had a yellow kayak, He'd tip you out so you would swim in the water with him. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Again, which got him into trouble. Wow. So this is a dolphin. He's got quite a personality. Oh, I mean, yes. Yes. <laughs> quite a personality. He had a huge personality. Yeah. So you're following him around for two years, you said? Yes, yes. Wow. And so what yes, is your it's job? it's like having your own stalker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what is what is your actual job then? You're, you're there to observe him... Um, I was I was there to observe and data collect. So okay. it, it was basically what he did. So part of it was for research and part of it was for the council. Gotcha. Because obviously they had to to, to work around protecting people. Yes, yes. Protecting people, so, people um, but then also him as well, probably. Yes, yes. Yeah. Because but people forget that as much as you want to go and touch marine life yeah you pass on um viruses and diseases that yeah. they necessarily wouldn't come into contact with yes 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 under normal circumstances and it works the other way around so if you choose to touch a whale or a dolphin you can actually um get what we call zoonotic diseases or viruses wow so it's harder to treat those if the doctors don't know what you have caught from that marine animal. Yes. So this is why we always say, don't touch them. Um, yes. As much as everybody wants to, we just don't know what they're carrying. Yeah. So after you followed around George for two years, what happened next? What was your next move? Well, I because I gave my time voluntarily, 
the lady that I was working for uh, asked me to come in and help her with a PhD project. Okay. And so I went in to help her and this PhD project was basically the training course that we produced. Okay. So we looked at um, marine mammal observers and how efficient they were at their job. And unfortunately, with the training that was given at the time, which was, can you fill this paperwork out mm. by the government? Yeah. And if it was yes, you got a tick and you were certified to do it. Gotcha. So you didn't have any formal training or anything. Right. Wow. And at the time, this job was basically involved with the oil and gas industry. Okay. Which was huge. And, and still is to a degree. So how is it, how are marine mammal observers involved with the oil and gas industry? I don't understand that. Right. So when the oil and gas companies are searching for it, uh -huh. they go out into the ocean and they go on a very large vessel. Mm. Now that vessel puts sound into the ocean. Gotcha. So that sound goes down into the ocean floor and when it bounces back up it bounces back up in a different way depending on the substrate that it's hit oh, okay so they put this sound and it's and it's what they call a ping so it's a ping ping gotcha. yep and it goes down into the ocean floor and then it bounces back up and the way it bounces back up tells them what what is there so this is how they search for oil and gas. So they've got a fair idea of where it could possibly be. Yeah. Okay. And they go there and they they work around a system of transect lines and they will find out where the oil and gas is gotcha. through this sound. Now, this sound is what hurts marine mammals. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Because it's at a frequency that will... Um, cause what we call a permanent threshold shift or a temporary threshold shift in your hearing. Mm. Permanent would be total um, hearing loss. Oh wow. God. And a temporary threshold shift would be if you went to a nightclub and you stood by a speaker most of the night, you came out and you'd get that ringing. tinnitus, that ringing yeah. in your ears. Yeah. Uh, and that would be a temporary threshold shift. Okay. Wow. So you're working with or for the council to make sure that this isn't happening? Well, we're, we're basically, we're employed by the companies that search okay. for the oil and gas. But it's a legal requirement mm. that anybody puts sound into the ocean above a certain frequency mm. has a legal responsibility to protect our marine life. Yes. Mm. Good. Yes. Yeah. So... Uh, I could sort of say in a in a easy way that the people that I train are the whale and dolphin police. Yes. <laughs> or protectors. So you train those people today with the course that you offer? Yes. Okay. Yes. Beautiful. Wow. And the, your company is Scanning Ocean Sector. So when did you start your business? Uh, the business was started, it, well, it was set up in 2000 and it was running by 2003. So we had to get um, uh, 
authority from the UK government and we had to get an approval from them that that our course was good. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it it took an, a quite a while to set the course up mm. and get the experienced people to come in and do some of the training on the course. So part of you know what the setup was was finding the people that had the most experience and the best knowledge to bring them in and help improve this course even further than what we did in our three years of research. Yeah. Wow. And this is such a niche thing, and I'm sure there's only like a limited number of clients that you could possibly have, but how did you get your first clients when you started the course? Well, we were very, very lucky. Um, we basically put the course together and... We just promoted it through a marine environmental website. Mm -hmm. So most of the people that are involved in marine work go onto this particular site and and it offers research projects, training, anything to do with marine work at all. Yeah. And so we put it on there that we were running the courses and... As most businesses do when you get started, you give a really good offer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we set the price of the course really low. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, which you obviously in terms of your, your business setup, you have to make sure that you have the funds to be able to do that. Yeah. So... That's what we did. We set it up and then we we got a name for ourselves because we knew at that time uh, we were the only other course apart from the government body running this course. Yeah. Um, so we knew because they'd approved us, we knew that, that we were good enough and we knew that we were better than filling out a form because we went above and beyond that. Yeah. So you kind of created um, a need. Like you you saw the need, but you, you created a service that just almost didn't exist before. Yes. Well, it did exist, but, but we improved on it yeah. exponentially. Yeah. yeah. You kind of found an area in the the thing that you'd been studying with George, the dolphin. (laughs) And then, yeah, said, hey, this is a massive issue. I'm going to solve it. Yeah, wow. And and then the reason I came to Australia was part of the research that I was doing. I was observing trainers giving instructions to observers to see how well they implemented their training techniques. Mm -hmm. And so I came uh, and it's on um, a biannual basis that they do the humpback whale Uh census survey of of North Stradbrook Island. Yep. Oh, lovely. So I contacted um, the people that were running that and I came across for three months to give my time to the survey, but also to record my own data on how they trained the people that volunteered. Yeah. So that's how I came to Australia. Huh. And unfortunately, 
I fell in love with Australia. <laughs> <laughs> that tends to happen to some of us. Yeah, <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A good, it was absolutely a, a fabulous time. And after I finished, I travelled up the East Coast and, of course, being marine biologist, went to all the places where I could swim and snorkel and dive and and just thought, yes, this is much better than six degrees off Swanage Pier. Yeah. <laughs> As a marine biologist, I mean, you've been, so you've been here off and on since, was it shortly after 2000 when you founded the, or sorry, 2003? 2003. Yeah. yeah so. Okay. So you, I mean, you must have, um, you know, a keen perspective on what is happening with ocean life, with, um, you know, pollution and everything right now. What have you seen? What is your perspective from living in Australia during that time? Uh, it's been sort of partially good and, and sort of partially bad. Um, okay. And the reason I say partially bad is at the moment, unfortunately, with uh, the pandemic that's going on with the COVID-19, there's been a lot of issues with face masks just being thrown yeah, dumped oh, in the sea, right? And a lot of marine life are now suffering, and marine birds. And so, one of the perspectives at the moment that people are looking at is when you discard a face mask that has elastic mm. that goes around your ears to cut the elastic. Yeah, never put anything into the bin, an elastic band or a, anything that ties anything together that is in a circle just never put it wholly into the bin always use your scissors give it a snip before you stick it in the bin and it won't entrap any animal ever yeah okay. so just like we would with those uh you know like they used to have beer can or pop can yeah. do they still yes. have those plastic things holders. before you throw yes. those in the trash you always cut them yes. so think about masks the exact same way oh definitely yeah. yes we've we went out recently to um, a little island called Round Island, just <laughs> 10 minutes uh, from Harvey Bay Marina. Mm. And there is still, and it's been there for four weeks, unfortunately, a cormorant that has been caught up in fishing line. Aww. And... It's ingested some of it and mm. some of it's caught around its wings and its feet mm. and it's tried to fly and unfortunately all this line has got entangled into the tree and it, it's died, Aww. trapped in a tree. Aww. So it's... You know, we see the best and we see the worst of human beings in doing what we do. Yeah. yeah. What do you mean by the best? Do you think because of all the awareness and, you know, people actually really caring and trying to take action, is that... Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that, um, again, I'm going back to lockdown and COVID, mm. that most people started to appreciate nature after being mm. locked down for yeah. a period of time. Right. And some people are still in that zone of appreciation that, that they can actually go and 
sit outside and they can walk around their local area and, and still see the beach and the beautiful places. Mm, it's so true. You know, after being trapped in, you know, for four weeks, two weeks, however long you you had to stay in, in whatever region of the world you were in. It's, I think there's a great appreciation now. Airbnb actually just um, released some data that they found that people are not doing any city breaks at all anymore because they want to get away from yeah. other people and built up areas and that and people are going camping more and going on adventures in, yeah. in in nature not just to be around nature but just be away from other people. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I know that the the whale watching industry in Harvey Bay mm. was um, almost in tears with the lockdown and things, but. Since there's been no international travel, people are choosing to spend their money in their own country, which is fabulous. Yeah. And the whale watching industry here has boomed this Mm. year, which was really surprising. They were in shock. They thought they weren't going to get many travellers and visitors that were going to come and see the whales because on previous years it was always international travellers that, that yeah. came to one of the best whale watching sites in the world. Yeah, in the US a lot of my friends I've I've sent them videos of the whales kind of just you know, it's just like you're standing on the beach going on a walk from Bondi to Kuji mm. beach or wherever and you just see whales sometimes just crossing, hanging out. And it's very rare. There are a couple places in America where you can see whales, but they don't get as close and they aren't as prominent as they are here. So it's yeah. quite a magical thing. We are so lucky, and this is the place that we call home. Yeah. So over the years, um, so you founded and really launched in 2003, and you kind of came up with your formula and your course and your methodology then. Have you had to update it since then? Yes. Okay. It's We do an ongoing update. We're always reviewing. So our students always give us feedback on every lesson that we teach. So at the moment, again, I'm talking about COVID, the facilitated courses are just not happening at yeah. all. Yeah. So we, we don't do groups at all now. So it's we always had an online training course, mm. uh, which took us a long time for the government to actually say yes. They just didn't like the fact that we were doing it online. Yeah. But everybody seems to be doing online training now and it is it is going to be the way forward. Mm. Uh, a lot of people say it's not as, as good as face-to-face because you can get to ask a lot of questions and get them answered. But at the same time, I've found that we can give so much more information to, to people wanting to learn by having it online. Yeah. So we've updated and we've improved on the courses by putting more information and more updates and more technical information, which is, I think, much, much better than having to go to a facilitated course where you're limited, your company limit you to two, maybe three days of time off work. Mm. Yeah. Well, also, if you think about it, it's the accessibility factor. So if you're anywhere in the world, you could take this course, 
You know, you don't have to yes. be, you don't have to fly to Australia or you know, some people no. are living in Iowa right now, but they have this passion for marine biology and they, it's something they've always wanted to explore. You can take the course online, which is really great. You know, you're opening it yes. up to more people. So can anyone take this course? Yvonne, can, if, if anybody, I want a, a career change and wanted to become a <laughs> marine mammal observer. <laughs> yes, anybody can take this course. So we made it specifically that way. It wasn't a case of you had to have a degree because there are a lot of people out there that are really passionate about the work that they do and they haven't actually got degrees. But they have exponential knowledge of living by marine life and watching them mm-hmm. on a daily, yearly basis. And they've absorbed this knowledge without even realising it. So some people come on and they struggle with the technical stuff and some people just come on because they've just been living it every day and just breeze through it. So there's a balance uh, about getting through the technical stuff and, and understanding the animal's on a whole basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you think that there's something kind of intuitive about it for for people who have lived by the sea or always had an affinity for marine life. There's there's something besides just the technical stuff that helps people become um, good marine observers? Yes. Well, the technical side is the side that everybody struggles with. Right. is based around the laws. So your legal responsibility. Right, yeah, um, yeah. Which is governed by A, your country, mm. and B, the state that you live in or, the you know, the specific region that they will have different legal uh, guidelines yeah. for protection of certain species that are only found in that region. Yeah. So that is, that's the hardest part. Right. In saying people have this intuitive part, we taught um, some traditional landowners in WA, in Broome, mm-hmm. and they struggled with the technical legal side of it in the classroom. We went out and we always do a practical and that's part of what we offer because um, sitting in a classroom isn't how you live life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we went out on a vessel and the, these young men had, they picked up, they knew exactly where the whales were, they they knew how to count them, but they didn't understand what they were seeing, that they'd been seeing it for years, these mm-hmm. certain behaviours. And when we started to explain to them what they were seeing, they said it all, everything started to click into place. That's amazing. But they'd been watching this for years, but their explanation was completely different because um, they didn't have the understanding of the behaviours. But as soon as they did, they said everything slotted into place. Wow. But they live with these animals, you know, for hundreds and thousands of years. That's, a, that's awesome. Um, I have a question for kind of thinking about consultancy. Um, yes. As a consultant and, and business owner, I imagine that you have a lot of um, clients as the government now. 
Would you say that's correct? Not really the government. So so my clients are always people that are, are looking for oil and gas or they're building a marina or they're demolishing a marina or they're dredging or maybe they're sinking or scuttling a ship or diving. Mm. So those are my clients. The government are the people that make sure that everybody does the right thing. Mm -hmm. So the government gives the approval for that person to do that work in the ocean. Yeah, okay. So the government certifies you guys? Yes, yes. Without that, um, the course would, would just be an online course. It has to be approved by a government. Yeah, how did you go about getting that kind of government stamp of approval or certification? Is there a process? (laughs) (laughs) I will say it was goddamn hard work. (laughs) Did you have to have contacts? Because I'm sure there's um, many consultants listening or who have like not necessarily marine biology, but that are looking to get their course accredited. And it would be just great to hear your experience on that and how you achieved that. Well, you obviously have to follow the government guidelines. So every sort of legal document that they've written um, in protecting marine life, you have to know it inside out and back to front. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you, you, we built the course around that. Uh, and then we improved it and, and did it worldwide. So, so you have to, like every government organisation, you have to tick certain boxes and jump through certain hoops and it is a long and laborious process and and I will tell you now there were many many times that I nearly gave up really but I persisted (laughs) yeah (laughs) um and finally got there in the end but you you have to go through that process of ticking all the right boxes and you can't rush it the more you try and rush it um, the more you get frustrated uh, about the way it is set up uh, and there's nothing you can do about that so while this process was ongoing I was lucky to work with um, a wonderful technical company that that got everything online for us so they were they're on the sunshine coast and i'm going to give them a plug italic digital okay helped us set everything up yeah and while we were going through this process they were backing us up totally with helping us get everything sorted online so we were ready to go as mm. soon as uh, the approvals came through so yeah, it was it was a lot of encouragement from outsiders, which is wonderful uh, yeah. when you are setting up a business. Yeah, and help from good partners. It sounds like too. You had a really great yes, agency to yes. work with. Yeah. Um, so, yes. what would you give if we've got women out there listening? You know, from all over the world, and some of them have ideas to start online courses. What would you give as advice? Firstly, get get yourself a fabulous digital networker. So someone who not only does um, 
the media part of your business, but also can set up your business in a website, mm. in, in an attractive way, yeah. <laughs> and also who has so much innovation. You need someone who is bursting with what they do and proud of what they do. Mm. Once you get someone like that on your side, the rest is easy because the rest is the knowledge that you have in your head and your soul. Mm. When you love the work that you do, the work loves you. Right. And so (laughs) you exude the love for your work and people that work with you, they want a piece of that when they feel it. Yeah. That is true. You can tell when people are passionate. It makes a world of difference. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Yvonne. It has been amazing having you on. I'm so happy that you're there to do what you do and that you're protecting marine wildlife all over the world and teaching others how to protect marine wildlife. Um, If someone wants to take your course, where do they find it online? If they just go to scanningoceansectors.com scanning ocean sectors okay yes and i'd like to leave you with a little quote okay lovely please the meaning of life is to find your gift and the purpose of your life is to give it away oh i love that i love that so much (laughs) so good what a way to end an amazing episode thank you thank you so much thank you very much yeah chat soon Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by Invoice2Go. We're an invoicing and billing app that helps business owners work and get paid from anywhere, at any location around the globe. And we're helping close the gender-based pay gap. Because the current US gender-based pay gap sits at around 19%, listeners of the Female Founders Network podcast will get exactly 19% off of any subscription. Just use the code EMPOWERWOMEN at checkout.